0: This episode is brought to you by our friends at Information Systems Integration. Information Systems Integration is a premier managed service provider for all your information technology needs. They provide IT solutions that are customized for you, including content marketing, information security, and many other products and services coupled with 24-7 concierge-level support. So upgrade your IT provider today with the proven integrity and expertise of information systems integration. Discover more by visiting isicg.com slash faith. If there's anything I've learned so far from listening to all these stories of people who choose to live like Jesus, it's that there are things that can erode our happiness, our character, and everything else that's meaningful in life. There are very real forces that try to get us to lead meaningless lives. And at the end of the day, we have to turn away and let go of these things. One of the things I'm talking about is bitterness. If there's anything that holds us back from living like Jesus, it's choosing to not forgive someone or let go of something. We always hear about the power of forgiveness and letting go. But what does that look like practically? Where are the benefits? And how does it lead to a meaningful life? I mean, people always say it's good to forgive. But let's be honest. Whenever we feel hurt, the popular position is to play the victim. To hold on to that hurt. But God's way is about letting go. So what does that mean? And how can we implement that in our own lives as we strive to live like Jesus? I found my answer to these questions after I heard the incredible story of Ozzy Waters escaping death and finding new life. So with that being said, you're listening to the Jesus Hacks Podcast. Let's get started.
1: I woke up on October 6, 2012. It was a completely normal day. I slept in until about 10 o'clock. I got up, I took a shower, and then I cooked myself breakfast. Um, I helped my mom pick out her outfit for that day. We were both going into town. It was just me and her. So about 11.40, we got in the car and we were heading down our three-mile county road. So we were driving down the road. We were laughing. We were having a good time. We were making fun of my makeup, actually, because I did it really bad. So we were just having a good time enjoying each other, and about half a mile to a mile down the road, we rounded a corner, and we saw smoke. And we didn't think anything of it, because where I'm from, we burn brush, we burn trash. It's it's a common practice, so seeing smoke is nothing out of the ordinary. However, when we got closer to the smoke, we noticed that it was from a house. So we slowed down, because we saw smoke bellowing out from a house, and we didn't know what was going on, and... Just as we were about to stop, someone started shooting at us. And that is a sound that I will never forget, the sound of that first gunshot hitting the car. And I sank down in my seat, and my mom took off driving, and we were trying to get away, and more shots were happening. And my window was shattered and glass was all over me. And the whole time I was screaming. And then I realized that the car had stopped. And my mom was on me. She had fallen on me. And she was bleeding. So I jumped out of my window and I was screaming for her. I was, I was trying to get her to talk to me, to answer me. And she wasn't. And I was trying to open the door when I heard another gunshot, and I fell to the ground. He was shooting at me, and I knew if I was on the ground, he would have a lesser chance of hitting something important, like hitting a main artery or something. So as I was laying on the ground, he fired maybe six or seven shots at me, and then he stopped. And my knee was crimson red. It was gushing blood. I crawled through the brush and around the car and I made it to the road. And when I got there, I glanced back. I saw the smoke. I saw my mom's car. And then I took off running. I ran maybe 150 yards to the next house that was there on the road. And nobody was home. I banged on the door. I pleaded and nobody was there so i did what i had to do i grabbed a rock and i broke through the window and i climbed in i searched through the entire house and there was not a telephone i stood on the front porch and my knee was still gushing blood and i have a twin brother and we used to watch army shows together all the time so, I knew that to stop the bleeding, you need to tie a tourniquet directly above the wound. So, I took off my overshirt and I tied it about mid thigh and as tight as I could. And that was also when I noticed that I had been shot more than once. I was actually shot three times. I didn't feel the other ones. And I didn't really notice them until I was checking my body. I needed to make sure that I was okay. I looked to my left and I saw a trail in the woods and I took off. I didn't want to run on the main road in case he realized that he did not get me. In case he realized that I was not there. I didn't want him to come after me and see me on the main road. So I ran through this little cutout in the road or in the woods, and it only went maybe half of a mile before it went back to the main road. So when I got on the main road, I stayed close to the edge, so as if he saw me or if he was after me, I could run and hide in the woods. And the entire time that I was running, I was praying. I was pleading to God that he had gotten me this far that he could get me a little bit further and he could get me to the next house, he can save me. But I also told him that if it was my time, then to let me go and to let my mom be waiting at the gates. And I told him to let my brother and my other family members know that it was going to be okay that no matter the outcome of this day, we were going to get through it. After running two miles, I made it to the last house. The door was unlocked, I walked in, there was a phone and I called 911. And I told them that he had killed my mom, I needed an ambulance, there was a fire, I didn't know where he was. I had been shot and I was losing blood. They told me that they would send somebody out right away and I told them I was not going to stay in the house because I had no idea where he was and I did not want to be trapped inside of a house. At this point, my knee was completely numb. I was dragging it behind me. It was... I had no feeling in it whatsoever. And then a few moments later, I heard the sirens. And for the first time that day, I cried. I cried tears of joy, thanking God that he had saved me, that he had got me away from this terrible situation and this terrible man.
0: The ambulance soon found Ozzie and started to treat her wounds. They told her she needed to be airlifted out of there in case the gunman was still coming after her. And as she was in the ambulance, she heard something She didn't want to hear.
1: While I was in there, the radio went off and the man said, There's a woman here in the car. She's not breathing. She has a bullet wound to the back of her head. She's dead. And that was the first time that it really hit me that my mom was dead. Hearing someone else confirm it made it so much more real.
0: Ozzy, stunned by the news, proceeds to close her eyes. She feels a warm embrace wrap around her, and she hears her father tell her it's going to be okay and that he'll be with her at the hospital soon.
2: Oh, soon and very soon you will come again Oh, soon and very soon All our suffering shall end And riding on the wind You will come again Oh, riding on the wind All our suffering shall end pray until you come again. Oh, I will watch and pray till our suffering shall end. oh,
0: He finally arrives on the rooftop of a hospital in San Antonio.
1: So they took me in, they got me a room, and they had to do what's called flushing the wounds. So I had been shot three times, but they went all the way through. So there were six holes in my legs. They get a syringe full of water, and they stick it inside of the hole and they just squirt the water in. they flush it out and they had to do this twice for every single hole even on pain medicine that was still one of the most painful things that I have ever felt so by now it's probably nine o'clock at night and my room is filled with people there's probably ten or twelve of them And I got a text message from my brother. And it was like the whole room just faded out. And it was me sitting there in that room by myself reading this text message over and over and over again. It said the man who did this had killed himself. I had no idea how I felt about that. The man who did this is never going to be able to know that he did not get me, that he did not break me.
0: And this is when the fallout began. With the gunman gone, Ozzy didn't know how to deal with her remaining bitterness.
1: So the next day I was walking on my own without the help of anyone, and the day after that I was released from the hospital. But I could not stand going home and not having my mother there. So we stayed in town in a trailer house for probably the next month. And at first, I was fine. I mean, obviously, yes, I was sad and this was a traumatic experience and I was having those emotions. But I had such a strong support group. I had family. I had friends who were around me 24-7. And then a few months after that, when I didn't have such a strong support group, when I didn't have the whole town looking at me and trying to make me feel okay. I became very depressed. I was not thinking straight at all. I wanted to drop out of high school. I wanted to run away and I was even having thoughts of suicide. I could not handle not having my mom. And I was mad at God. I told myself that if he really loved me, that he would not have done this to me. He would not have ruined my family. He would not have scarred me. He would not have put me through this. And my hatred was for the gunman too. Why did he do this? I will never understand, and I will never be able to ask him why he did this to me.
0: Ozzy kept spiraling down into this pit of questions, bitterness, and frustration until she went to a summer camp.
1: And then later that year, I went to a summer camp, and there was a person there who was my age, and they had just lost a parent. And I was talking to them about my situation and how... It's going to be okay. And she told me that she was mad at God. And it kind of hit me. Why should we be mad at God? If it weren't for God, I would not be here. He saved my life that day. And that was when I realized that I needed to stop having this hatred and holding this grudge against the man who did this. I went to another retreat at Alto Frio in Lakey, Texas. And the speaker there was Shane Pruitt. In the morning service, he was talking about forgiveness. And it had been on my heart for a while that I needed to let go of this. I just, I didn't know how. So after the morning service, I started talking to Shane and I told him what had happened and what I was dealing with, and we talked for hours. And then later that night at the worship service, I just felt like a weight had been lifted off of my chest. I knew that I had forgiven the man who did this. Holding a grudge against him and being angry with him was only hurting me. It was like carrying around a backpack full of bricks for an entire year and then letting it go. I no longer needed to have that backpack on. It was over, and it was only hurting me.
0: Hearing Ozzy's story left me with some questions. What did forgiveness toward this gunman really mean? It's not so much that you condone his action. Of course yeah, you don't. Yeah, we're not are
1: not We're not saying what he did was okay, and we're not telling him that he can do it again. We're not saying that. We're saying that for my own sake and for my own needs and purpose, I need to let go of it.
0: I wanted to flesh out this idea of letting go a little bit more because I wanted to hear what really needs to happen in a person's heart in order to let go of something incredibly painful such as this. It's easy to say you need to let go of something, but how do you actually do that? After talking with Ozzy, I sat in my chair and had an idea. Why not ask Shane Pruitt, the pastor who helped Ozzy, about this idea of letting go? I wanted to hear his perspective. So, I found Shane, and he told me his side of the story, how he met Ozzy and what they talked about. He told me... He was preaching at the summer camp on Colossians 3 when all this started.
3: And so I was preaching out of Colossians 3, uh, verses 12 through 17. And so, you know, Paul just kind of puts a list of things there. He says, you know, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And then he just kind of really works through a list. And and I think it's 13 is when he gets into forgiveness. And that's where he says, forgiven each other as the Lord has forgiven you so you must also forgive and so i talked about if if we're going to be recipients of the gospel that means we have received a lot of grace and a lot of forgiveness um therefore we must allow the lord to give through us you know and if we refuse to hold on uh or we refuse to let go of bitterness and we want to hold on to unforgiveness then that means we really haven't understood the gospel in our life um and so really kind of hit that baseline and then we did a response time and got moved. You know, we saw a ton of teenagers come forward and she, I was kind of standing off to the side as the youth pastors and youth leaders were counseling students. Well, this, here comes Ozzie and she's walking with her youth pastor's wife, if I recall correctly. And she is, I mean, weeping. She is bawling. Neil, she has, I mean, she has like the ugly cry going, you know what I mean? And so she is just. Weeping, and she comes up to me and says, um, "Shane, I've been holding on to bitterness, uh, unforgiveness, um, for about a year now. And just in my ignorance, I uh, I, I looked at her, you know, saw a, a 16-year-old girl, and thought, well, you know, she's probably angry some because somebody stole her boyfriend, or or she's bitter because someone made fun of her." And I really minimized it, but when she began to tell her story, um, I had to pick my jaw up off the ground. And so she just tells her story, um, which I mean, you've already seen and known. And oh yeah. Read. Um, and so I, I'll tell you, I mean, her. I, I began. I kept looking at her youth pastor's wife because the story seemed so unreal that, like, it just seemed so unbelievable. And her youth pastor's wife just nodding her head and and crying with her, you know, affirming what she's saying. And then I still was skeptical because even when I got back to uh, my hotel room, I Googled the story (laughs) because I was like, is this for, you know, and I still in in sadness didn't really believe the story until I Googled it and found, uh, you know, these news articles confirming what she had said. Um, and then the next day I found her, you know, at, at the same retreat and sat down with her and was like, okay, got to tell me more. And like I said, at first, and as embarrassing as it is, uh, it is just being transparent. I really kind of dismissed what she was saying because I didn't fully believe her because the story was so radical, you know, but then the next day just to really talk to her, she began to tell me more about what God had done in her life of laying down, uh, You know, bitterness and and letting go of unforgiveness and her exact words as she realized that Jesus is better than bitterness and Jesus is better than holding unforgiveness over this guy Um, and that she could see where Jesus is going to use this unbelievable tragedy in her life um, for his glory and her good by being able to minister to others. And uh, so, man, after confirming the story for myself, I was all ears then. And, man, she just floored me. Uh, this girl has ministered to me in in amazing ways.
0: Shane, one thing I want to talk to you about is um, if you could break down the forgiveness Ozzy really had to go through. Because forgiveness is such this tricky topic because people think sure. that to forgive – you really need to excuse this shooter's actions.
3: Yeah, right, right. And that's
0: not what Ozzy did when she forgave the shooter. Uh, Can you talk about more of that type of godly forgiveness that Ozzy had to go through?
3: Yeah, absolutely. What you said, Neil, is spot on. Um, She was holding on to unforgiveness and bitterness um, like so many of us do, even though hers is... (laughs) a story on steroids compared to most of our stories, but she felt holding bitterness towards him in a, in a way was still being able to punish him um, because in her own words she had felt that he had took the easy way out. She wanted to be angry at him and she wanted to be able to vocalize to him that he didn't break her, he didn't crush her, that she would continue to live and tell the story. Um, but. Unfortunately, he had took his own life, you know, which is another tragic story. Um, And so she was angry that she didn't get to tell him that he didn't break her. And so she was bitter towards that, angry towards that. But what broke in her life and what changed her life is she realized, um, as tough as it is, is that holding on to bitterness and refusing to forgive is really a control issue on your part. And so what you want to do is say, well, I don't want to condone that person's action. Um, I want that person to feel enslaved like I've felt enslaved. I want that person to suffer the way I've suffered. So I'm going to impose control over them by refusing to forgive, refusing to let it go. But she realized that night that um, it's not her job to control situations. Um, It's Jesus's job. He's the king. He's the judge and he will judge accordingly, um, that at the end of the day, our job is not to control things. Um, Our job is to trust God to do his job, and he's very good at his job. So really in that, when we're trying to control things, we're really going to be anxious. We're going to be stressed. Um, It's only going to hurt us because we're trying to do a job that's way above our pay grade. You know. And so often when we're holding on to bitterness and a lack of forgiveness, we're trying to control the situation and it's really only harming us. Um, you know, because typically the person that we're angry towards, um, they may not even know or they possibly don't care. So you're the one staying up at night. You're the one developing a stomach ulcer. You're the one that's missing meals. You're the one that's adding, you know, adding age to you, um, because they may not care or they may not even know. Or maybe they do care and they've asked for your forgiveness over and over again and you've refused to give it because you want to be in control. Well, once again, that's a God complex. And it's hard for us to think like that because we see ourselves as the victims, right? And so we don't ever look at us as the one needing to repent because we're the victim. You know, so often us repenting um, is the first step to bringing healing in our life. You know, I think it kind of even goes back, you Neil, know, to some of those things that we all say. I mean, I've said it a hundred times, um, even in not forgiving ourself. Um, you know, a lot we've all said, well, I know God forgives me. I just can't forgive myself. And even in that moment, that's a control thing and a pride thing. Because what you're saying is, okay, I know God forgives me, but I just can't forgive myself. So what you're doing is you're placing your standards of forgiveness above God's. And that's a very dangerous place to be.
0: I had never seen unforgiveness as a control issue until I talked with Shane. You know, like Shane said, it's not our job to control things. And the more we try to control things, the more we enslave ourselves to this pain. The best solution is to see the bit of repentance that needs to happen in our own heart and give that up to God. Let God do what he does and just continue living that's what it means to let go
1: today I am extremely thankful for my life and the people in it I've learned to not take anybody for granted because you will never know when it will be the last conversation you have with them I am joy-filled my life as I see it is amazing I would not have had that event happen if I had the choice, but I'm extremely grateful to still have my life and what I can do with it.
0: Thanks for listening to the Jesus Hacks podcast. Join us next week for the season finale. And for companion materials and show notes to this week's episode, head to jesushacks.com.